Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media. Another episode of Pat's Daily, the first of two today. Special Friday going on. This episode is brought to you, as always, by our friends at FanDuel. More from them later. But for now, breaking news last night. Of course, I was podcasting when it happened. Had to react on the fly because Patriots hired someone to fill their offensive coordinator vacancy that they hadn't even met with until that same day. Alex Van Pelt, former offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of the Browns. Now, like I said, kind of unfamiliar territory. So to help me out and understand what exactly this hiring could mean for the Patriots, I got my buddy Corey Kinnon of the Browns Wire, my go-to whenever I need some insight on the Brownies. Corey, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, I've I've been on paternity leave for a while, so this is my first my first interview Congratulations. back. So, thank Congratulations! You, thank you. Appreciate it. So this is my first my first time back on a on a show since since November. So, well, I am honored. First, how's your little one doing? She's great. She's great. I think she's finally getting the sleeping thing down, which is great for my wife and I because now we're finally relearning how to sleep a little bit too. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm doing great, man. It's, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you, buddy. All right. So first and foremost, I want some of your insight into Van Pelt's scheme, a little bit who he is yeah. as a person and also what happened last year, because from the outside looking in, it seemed like the Browns had way more success than they had any business having, considering just the litany of injuries and all the different quarterbacks they had to play. Yeah, so his scheme, I think you have to just rely on the coaches that he's coached for because he doesn't have a ton of play calling experience. He had a little bit of interim offensive coordinator experience with the Buffalo Bills in the, the late 2009, like in 2009, I believe, and then um, didn't really ever call plays again until he came to Cleveland in that one playoff game where, where Kevin Stefanski had COVID in the, in the COVID 2020 season, which was the first year of the, of the Stefanski era in Cleveland. So I think for trying to pin down what his scheme is, you have to kind of look at the coaches that he's coached for. So, um, you know, he's been the quarterback's coach in Green Bay under McCarthy. He's been the quarterback's coach in Cincinnati under Taylor. He's been the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator in Cleveland under Stefanski. Um, so I, I think starting off with uh, just run game stuff, I think you're going to see a lot of inside zone um, because not that that wasn't the case in Cleveland. But if you look at, at, at the case in, in, in Green Bay and um, in Cincinnati, they, they, they're, they're huge inside zone teams. They love inside zone. Uh, Stefanski in Cleveland, however, you know, they do a lot of pin and pull, a lot of gap power, a lot of outside zone. They, they like to hit the boundary. Um, so, you know, maybe that means that, that Alex Van Pelt will bring a pretty nuanced run game, uh, you know, a little bit of inside out, um, have, he has experience working with, with play callers who love both of those things. So, um, in terms of run game, I, I think that's a good place to start is, is you're probably looking at, at a lot of inside zone. Um, but also he's going to, he's going to be well, 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 well versed in, in wide zone, because again, that's, that's Kevin Stefanski's bread and butter. Um, so I think uh, that's a good place to start there in terms of passing game, um, if we're just going off the last four years, the Browns have had to run a lot of under center play action. Uh, 
because you look at the quarterbacks that they've they've played under Kevin Stefanski outside of you know the the handful of games that Deshaun Watson's been 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 able to play for the Browns. Um, you're you're talking about Baker Mayfield. You're talking about Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I, I think a lot of both of those quarterbacks are quarterbacks that Kevin Stefanski has felt like he's needed to kind of keep the handcuffs on a little bit. Like he, he, he didn't give them the, the wide, the, the wide array of offense. Like even in, in Tampa Bay this year with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield really struggles to, to identify and call out protections pre-snap. And it, mm-hmm. it shows up post-snap. Like he, he, he struggles to identify who the, who the free man on the line of scrimmage is and who he's responsible for um, post-snap. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, we know who Jacoby Brissett is uh, in New England, in Cleveland. We know who Jacoby Brissett is and he's a wonderful teammate, a wonderful individual. He's beloved everywhere he goes, but there are real limitations to his game in terms of pocket mobility, like mobility outside of the pocket in terms of, of what he can do with his eyes. Yeah. He can look off the safety and he can throw darts. Like we, we know he, he can do the bare minimum, but, but we didn't really get to haven't yet. Um, even with the handful of games that, that Deshaun Watson's played gotten to see, well, what does the Cleveland offense look like when it isn't Joe Flacco, when it isn't Jacoby Percet, when it isn't Baker Mayfield, um, and so I, I think the passing game is a little bit more of a mystery. Uh, it's a lot of, of, again, under center play action. Um, a lot of zone beaters. Kevin Stefanski is really good at dialing up zone beaters. And again, because Alex Van Pelt doesn't have a ton of play calling experience, um, we, we just have to assume that he was widely involved in game planning and installing throughout the week. And then obviously he was the quarterback's coach as well. Um, so maybe when you're, you're looking at Jaden Daniels, Drake May, whoever that quarterback ends up being, you're bringing in a guy who's coached Aaron Rodgers, who's, uh, I guess you, you got to throw Drew Bledsoe in there, uh, Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett. He's coached kind of a wide variety of quarterbacks and Andy Dalton in, in Cincinnati as well. Um, he, he's got a good sense of uh, of quarterbacks that he's coached and Deshaun Watson, if you want to throw that name in there too. Um, so that might help when when that new quarterback comes in. I think we've all made the assumption that New England's kind of taking a quarterback. I guess, I guess that's the assumption that I'm making here as well. But um, so it's hard to pin down what his scheme is because he's never really had the opportunity to develop his own team at on a play caller level, if if that makes sense. That's pretty interesting. So if you're someone who wants to kind of go back and look at the film and get an idea for what the scheme might look like, do you think it would be more helpful maybe to go back to those Aaron Rodgers days with somewhere where the playbook was a little bit more expansive rather than, like you said, kind of having to just adjust to quarterbacks that were a little more limited? Uh, I'm asking you know, I, I, for me. <laughs> right. I would like to think so. But then that means you'd, you'd have to go back to the McCarthy days of of, of Green Bay. And, and, you know, we're talking 2014 to 2017. Uh, you know, the NFL's really evolved since then. Uh, maybe if you go back and com- compare what McCarthy did this year in Dallas to, to those time that time in Green Bay, you might better get a better feel. But it, it's hard to pin down. But that, that, that might be a good place to start. Or, you know, I, I tend to think, I mean, there's a reason he stayed in Cleveland for four years. Um, if him and Stefanski really had huge philosophical differences, I don't think he would have been in one spot for four years. So I think there, there is, um, philosophical continuity between what Kevin Stefanski does and and what Alex Van Pelt might bring to new England. Okay. That's definitely helpful. And then can you just elaborate a little bit more on how the Browns were able to have success or maybe add context? Because when you look at the raw stats, like points per Mm -hmm. game and yards per game, they're both top 12. Then I'm taking a look at the efficiency metrics, like EPA per play. Yeah, and they're towards the bottom of the league with the Patriots. So if you're looking at that, how much of that do you think was on Van Pelt, maybe on Stefanski, and how much of that was just all the injuries and all the turnover Mm -hmm. that happened throughout the season? And what was your biggest takeaway in terms of, you know, are you going to a new system? Are you optimistic? Or are you like, uh, you know, there may be some intense growing pains. 
Yeah. So at first, you know, the gut reaction is to, to blame injuries. You know, the Browns had 26% of their salary cap on injured reserve last year. Like that's an exorbitant amount. Like you, you they were starting PJ Walker for three games, a fifth round rookie for three games, you know, Joe Flacco straight off the couch. Uh, and then that was where they had the most success through the air was with Joe Flacco this year. So I think you have to, to talk about injuries, but also I, I don't think you can blame injuries hundred percent because you looked at what Cincinnati got out of Jake Browning, uh, what Indianapolis got out of Gardner Min and which again, Gardner Minshew is probably, if you talk about ranking backup quarterbacks in the NFL, he's going to be in the top three. Like we're talking one of the better backup quarterbacks in Indy, but like, Cleveland wasn't the only team that had to start backup quarterbacks for a lot of the season. Um, even like the Los Angeles Chargers got pretty good efficiency out of Easton Stick for who Easton Stick is. So uh, you can't just say, well, it's because they were starting PJ Walker, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Sure, that didn't contr that didn't help, but uh, and they did see an uptick once they went to Flacco. So th there is something there. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of their scheme that got really stale in year four. You know. Um, you lose Nick Chubb and you really start to see kind of the holes in, in, in Cleveland's run game. Um, how much was Nick Chubb able to cover up with just being Nick Chubb? You know, he's the best all around back in the NFL, the best eyes I've ever seen in a running back uh, in my time. I'm only 31. So, you know, I'm not talking about Walter Payton, Jim Brown, Emmett Smith. I mean, I was in, I was in grade school and Emmett Smith was playing football. So uh, that I've ever seen uh, when I have, as I've been intensely watching football is, is Nick Chubb. You know, he's so light on his feet. He's so good with his eyes. He's so able to find backside creases, make something out of nothing. Um, and so it makes me question, I want to go back to 2020, 2021, uh, and kind of look at those run games where the Browns, their, their run game was at the top of the league uh, and see, well, how much was actually Nick Chubb and how much was the offensive line? Uh, but again, the offensive line, the Browns lost their starting left tackle. They're starting right tackle week one. They had a fourth round rookie and Dewan Jones come and play really well at right tackle. Also lost mm -hmm. him for the season. Uh, left guard Joel Batonio missed some games. Center Ethan Posick missed some games. So they, they never really had a full healthy offensive line this season either. So I... It's really hard to discount like what got stale, what is actual talent on the field. Um, Jerome Ford is good back. He's not Nick Chubb. Uh, Pierre Strong, you, you guys are familiar with him as well. Uh, he's explosive, has some good eyes to see some vision. He's not Nick Chubb. He has no contact balance. You know, he's not working through contact. So Kareem Hunt, excellent short yardage situation. He's more than willing to, to grind you out a, a yard or two when you really need to do. Scored nine touchdowns this year. Probably seven of them came at the goal line. Like that's just who Kareem Hunt is. But again, averaging three yards a carry. Like, so it's really hard to see what scheme, what's personnel at this point when, when you're talking about second, third string tackles, second, third string running backs, second, third string quarterbacks. Um, but I didn't, I, I do think at the end of the day, the, the scheme has gotten a little bit stale. And I think that's why you kind of saw the Browns decide, like, let's overhaul this offensive staff and let's get some new faces in here as well. And you mentioned that. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is the Christian Harris pick six in the playoffs where D'Amico mm -hmm. Ryan is on the sideline and he's like, yeah, this is exactly what's coming. Just sit on it. That's all you. So when you mentioned stale, I kind of think about that. And I wonder, like, again, Joe Flacco is coming off the couch, has a lot of NFL experience, but you're still having to learn and kind of be incorporated into a new system. So like comeback player of the year finalist, someone who clearly did have some level of success. Do you think that, again, the scheme is the scheme. And at some point, like in the NFL, you're running certain contests, but you want to find a way to disguise it. The Browns, middle of the pack when it comes to motion. And as we know, the best offense in the league are using it at a high level, creates a miscommunication. Just give your offense some kind of advantage. So looking at the Flacco era, was he as good as maybe, you know, his comeback player of the year status kind of says? Or was there more to it that you don't really notice because the story was so good that maybe some things slipped through the cracks? Uh, I, I think he was a gunslinger. Like, I, I think that's what it, it just comes. I mean, if there were some things that slipped through the crack, we would have saw more efficiency out of Dorian Thompson Robinson and, and Pete. I mean, 
I'm trying to be diplomatic in the way that I see this, but it's harder to find a worse quarterback that played football in the NFL this season than than PJ Walker. And the Browns managed to go yeah. two and one and should have gone three and oh if and you know they collapsed in Seattle where they had a lead the, the entire game and and that's actually the only game where PJ Walker had a positive EPA. So that, I mean Kevin Stefanski was in his if you want to watch a play caller in his bag that in a, in a game, go watch that Seattle game. And then the last two minutes, you know, they they go forward on fourth and short, they throw a pick off of a helmet of a defensive lineman, and then the defense gets gashed and they give up a touchdown and then they can't, you know, they're they're not going to come from behind at that point. So um with the, the the personnel they're putting on the field. But um I, I just think Joe Flacco is really good, man. I, you can say some of the scheme is is yeah. Um, because when we go back to talking about Baker Mayfield, when we go back to talking about Jacoby Brissett, when you have to play a quarterback that isn't, you know, who they thought Deshaun Watson was gonna be, the, the Deshaun Watson in Houston, you know, um, an Aaron Rodgers, a Patrick Mahomes, these these Josh Allen's, the guys that can really improvise and make plays. Um Kevin Stefanski really wants a guy that can, well, can you just get your eyes where I need you to get your eyes and make a throw? Uh, because right. I'll scheme the guys open. I just need you to get your eyes there and make the throw. Uh, and Joe Flacco was doing that. So yeah, credit scheme, credit him for, for being a professional quarterback. He's 38 years old. He's won a Super Bowl. He's, you know, he's been around. He can do, he can do that. Jacoby Brissett could do that. But then you also see some of these, these, these improvised throws that he's making. Uh, the Houston game where Amari Cooper set a franchise record for receiving yards in a game. Like he's threading needles. He's making out of structure plays the New York jets game uh, where they clinched the playoff spot on Thursday night. Like he, he, he scrambles out of the pocket. He finds his running back out of the backfield and the running back scores for 50 on a 50 yard play. Like there are some things where it's just like, okay, Joe Flacco is actually just playing out of his mind right now. And, you know, um, Cleveland was down in, against Chicago um, by two scores uh, and, and Joe Flacco, it might've been one score, but, but Joe Flacco in the fourth quarter alone went like, I think it was like 12 for 12 for 217 yards and two touchdowns playing from behind. So like when you're playing from behind, like that's not the script, you know, the script's out right. the window at that point. So, um, there are elements of Joe Flacco just being really good as well. And again, Joe Flacco is who Joe Flacco is. He's going to throw the picks. He's gonna, but he's also going to, he's also just going to be a gunslinger and the Browns saw those picks catch up to him in the playoffs. But uh, I think he was just also well exceeding expectations. This I'm making this intro a little longer, but you're giving me some great insight. So I got to ask one more question. You mentioned the improvisational ability and getting your eyes in the right place. So with these top three quarterbacks, the Patriots may not really have their pick. It could just be whoever falls in them, but you never know. Somebody may, you know, trade up to that number two spot. And then it's between, you know, Caleb, Drake, Jaden Daniels, whoever's left. Who do you think of those three would be the best fit for what you know about Alex Van Pelt and what you think could maximize his scheme? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge Drake May truther. Like I'm a Drake mm -hmm. May truther, and we, we, it gets so hard to future cast these college quarterbacks in the NFL because they're playing under center the least amount that they've ever have in college football yeah. compared to the NFL. Like I think it was Greg Olson, former tight end, now CBS broadcasters, talked about like. If you're not efficient under center, like you're not going to make it in this league. Uh, mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of data to back it up. Uh, the, the most efficient way to throw the football is under center play action. So like, it's really hard to future cast these guys, but uh, especially Drake may, when you're talking about North Carolina's offense, yes, it's not Phil Longo anymore where the, the playbook's 26 pages deep, you know, it's uh, which is not very extensive, uh, you know, so there, there was a little more added to his plate, uh, but I just thought he was efficient over the middle uh, is uh, just throwing darts. Um, towards the boundary like almost almost looks like he's playing darts like how precise he is with the football toward the boundary like best deep ball in the in the in the, in the draft in my opinion uh so like if i'm just going to tell you best quarterback i would say drake may but if we're talking about a quarterback that has you know an nfl scheme ish 
um, at the college level who I've seen, you know, man, he's working his eyes backside and he's finding these backside digs that are, that are designed to be there. If the, if the, you know, play side's not there, um, you know, he's tucking the ball and he's running, he's improvising like Jaden Daniels was really, I mean, he won the Heisman. He was really good this year, but, but he wasn't doing it just because, you know, like the way Lamar Jackson did it in Louisville, like Louisville, he, Lamar was getting his eyes backside and making some throws too. And he doesn't get credit for that. But like, Jane Daniels didn't win the football because he was electric as a rusher. He was electric mm -hmm. as a rusher, but he was also making throws and he was getting his eyes backside and he was able to improvise and he knew where he was going with the football and he was efficient when he was throwing the football. Like, um, so I, I would say may or Daniels, I, Caleb Williams is, is great. He's, he's a tremendous athlete. He he's tremendous with the football, but that, that offensive system, how long he holds the football, um, the, the amount of time that, that I feel like, yeah, that sacks kind of on Caleb, that, that it's a lot on tape in my opinion. And yeah, some of that can be coached out of him and you don't want to coach all of that out of him. But if we're talking about, if you need a quarterback to just come in and, and sink into a system, I'd, I'd say may or, or Daniels. And it's seeming like Daniels probably is going to be the guy that's left for new England. Also, I think just in terms of like personality, like that, have you been through adversity, leadership, and all that? Jaden Daniels, I feel like, just checks so many of those boxes relative to the other guys. So I'm glad to hear you say that, especially considering Deshaun Watson. I was expecting a little more running, but then, of course, he was hurt, so they probably like didn't incorporate that as much. So it'd be really fun to see what Van Pelt could do with a guy who really can. And Drake may can as well, but Jaden Daniels, obviously, different level of athlete. Getting back to Van Pelt specifically, can you break down why exactly he was fired in Cleveland? Because I've heard things that it wasn't really the coaching staff. It was more ownership because they wanted more out of Watson. And I also heard it was just like you mentioned earlier, where the scheme kind of got stale. It was a little bit of different things. How much of it was, you know, just Van Pelt wasn't getting it done? And did you just need to change the scenery? Yeah, so I think the... The thing in Cleveland is people like to just pin everything on, on Jimmy Haslam, the owner, the Haslam's, you know, because early in his ownership career, they did meddle all the time. Yeah. Uh, but they've done a really good job since Andrew Barry took over as, as vice president and general manager. And since Kevin Stavansky took over as head coach of, of kind of staying out of the business, like it's even pretty well documented. Like even the, the Watson trade, that was Andrew Barry's decision. And he had to go and pitch that to Haslam. Like, um, and so I don't think anything of like ownership wants this, that, that, that sure. Maybe they like, they, they still give their input, but, but I, I truly think this was a Stefanski thing. And, 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 you know, we're in year five of the same regime. And I can't tell you the last time I heard that in Cleveland. Um, and so it could be, a, it could be a multitude of things. And, you know, I, I think I heard a little bit like, yeah, him and Stefanski didn't get along all the time, but like, I think you kind of want that between your offensive coordinator and play caller, like having some differing opinions to, I think that, you know, iron sharpens the iron to, to that point, but when, when you see the offense, and again, we can talk about the injuries, but when you see it regress as much as it did, and when you see your coaching staff, like most of these offenses that are finishing top 10 every year, which the Browns have been in efficient in EPA metrics, efficiency metrics, you're seeing those offensive coordinators get head coaching interviews. You're seeing those offensive coordinators get head coaching jobs. Uh, Van Pelt never got a, never got a call to, to become an offensive coordinator where he had the chance to call plays. Um, and Cleveland's been really good about granting coaches wishes. Like they just did it with Bill Callahan signed an extension last year. He said, I want to go coach with my son. They, they let him out of his contract. And so, okay. Very go, cool. You know, that was very that. cool. Yeah. Um, so if Van Pelt would have got an opportunity at a, for another offensive coordinator gig, even if it would have been a lateral move where he said, but they're going to give me the opportunity to call plays. The Browns would have let him take that job. They wouldn't have denied that interview request. Um, that never happened. No head coaching interviews. Uh, same can be said with the, the running back coach, Stump Mitchell, also 67 years old. So like, but he wasn't getting any offensive coordinator, like no, inter, no, no movement towards, towards a promotion. And so I, I think they want to 
one, create a better pipeline of coaches. So they went out and, you know, they fired their tight end coach as well, TC McCartney. Uh, and if you want me to tell you what he did, like, I, I couldn't tell you he coached tight ends. Like, I, 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 that's one of those things, like, internally, I can't tell you, like, I don't know why, you know, he, whatever. Uh, but they went out and they hired Tommy Reese to be their tight ends coach, offensive coordinator at Notre Dame two years ago, offensive coordinator at Alabama this past year. They went out and hired Deuce Staley to replace Stump Mitchell at running backs coach, who has been an assistant head coach for both the Lions and the Panthers. Um, and so I think what they're trying to do is create a better pipeline of, you know, how do we prove that that we can develop coaches who become coaches themselves, you know, so who become head coaches themselves. So uh, hired Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator. And I think I think the Reese hire might be, you know, you know, if, if Ken Dorsey becomes the coaching candidate that we thought he was two years ago and, you know, we are successful and he does get a job like we have an in-house guy we can just promote and and, and promote some continuity there. But um, so I think that was part of it. But again, when the, the offense regresses as much as it did again in the bottom, the bottom 10 and every efficiency metric that you can success rate metric that you can find this year, again, injury. Sure. But again, Bengals overcame that with with a far sub, sub like worst offensive line with, with Jake Brown. I mean, there, you know, we saw teams overcome that um, with scheme Shane Steichen. Again, I can't tell you enough about how much I love Shane Steichen and what he does with his run game, what he was able to do with Gardner Minshew, that offensive line. Again, they got a good jump out of left talk, left tackle, Bernard Ryman, right tackle. Um, Brain Smith was injured often. Like we know he's good when he's on the field. Quentin Nelson hasn't been the player he has been. Ryan Kelly had a good bounce back year for them. So, I mean, they had, they had good offensive line play too, but, but outside of, of Michael Pittman, if you look at that wide receiver room, if you look at the tight ends they're playing, like the, the reason they were putting points on the board is because Shane Steichen was able to scheme these guys open and, and put his players in position to win. And I don't think we saw that a lot in Cleveland, um, given, given the injuries, um, and so I do think it's it's fresh perspective. Um, I think there's an element of maybe Kevin Stefanski wants to pass off play calling at this point in his career. You know, we're in year five of his head coaching tenure. Um, and he won coach of the year in 2020, but then he had back-to-back -back losing seasons where he came into to, to this past season where um, many thought like, oh, he's on the hot seat. Like he's his betting odds where he's in the top five or six to be the first head coach fired, <laughs> you know, this, this season, um, stuff like that. And so... When, when you talk about a coach kind of coaching for his job, he's not going to give up play calling. He's not going to put his, his job security in the hands of somebody else. But now that, you know, he's a finalist for coach of the year again, uh, I think probably the favorite to win coach of the year this year um, at the awards here in a couple of weeks, uh, he's going to get a, a new contract extension. He has job security. His seat is ice cold. This might be the time where he wants to pass off play calling. And maybe that was just a thing. He said, well, if I'm going to do that, I, I, I've been with this guy for four years. This isn't the guy I want to do it with compared to a guy like Ken Dorsey, who has, even when he was fired in Buffalo, Buffalo's offense was top five in every single offensive metric when he, when he got fired. So um, maybe Dorsey is a guy he could do that with. I mean, there's some interesting quotes back in 2023, last January. He's like, yeah, the fun for me is game planning and installing and, and all these things throughout the week. It's exhausting calling plays. I'm spent by Sunday, by the end of day, Sunday, you know, so maybe there's an element of him that just wants to pass off play calling and, and, and Van Pelt wasn't the guy he wanted to do that with. Um, but I do think just needing some fresh perspective, the entire offensive coaching staff had been in place for four years. Um, so now they have a new running backs coach. They're going to have to find a new offensive line coach. Now that Bill Callahan went to Tennessee, new tight ends coach, new offensive coordinator. I, I think it's just, we want, we want fresh perspective. We want more to, to sprinkle into this already good scheme. Let's bring it back to life. I think that's fair with the results they had last season. It's a lot of good stuff. So we're going to get into more Pat-specific, potential positives, potential negatives with Van Pelt, as well as maybe some additional staff hires we could see go from that Cleveland pipeline to the Patriots. But first, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. We'll do that. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. 
FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets. Which players will score a touchdown? How many points will be scored? And so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. So, Alex Van Pelt did have a couple of other interviews during this process. I believe he met with the Buccaneers because the Baker Mayfield ties, obviously. And I believe the Raiders were the other team. So there was something that, you know, people other than the Patriots saw that they wanted to bring into their organization potentially. Now, you look at somebody like Nick Cayley, who the Patriots, you know, had as a finalist, it was reported. He was really only looked at by New England. So it gives you a little more optimism with someone like Van Pelt, whose services were valued. Let me know what do you think are some potential positives in terms of personality, you know, how he is as a coach, what he does do on offense as a coordinator, things that he brings to the Patriots that fans can be excited about. Yeah, I think he has been kind of pegged as a guy who works well with quarterbacks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when he came to Cleveland, we thought like, oh, you know, the, the kind of the Nathaniel Hackett thing, like, oh, he's a good friend. He's good with Aaron Rodgers. And so, like, right. when you're good with Aaron Rodgers, you kind of get a rep around the league of like, oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I genuinely think he's he's known as a guy who's good with quarterbacks. Um, and I think that's a big positive. Um, he must interview really well as well. Like, I think he presents really well. Um, if you look at any press conference he's had in Cleveland, he's always really well spoken. His demeanor is very calm. Um, kind of like Stefanski in, in that manner. Like, you're never going to catch Stefanski hot on the mic or anything like that. Um and so I think he brings that to the table, an element of level-headedness, um, which for a team in New England that is jump-starting almost every phase of the game, <laughs> I, I think yeah. is, is kind of the kind way to, kind way to say that. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you kind of want somebody who can be battle-tested through adversity a little bit. Um, a lot of Cleveland's adversity was self-inflicted with the trade they made. So, you know, <laughs> but like kind of battle, like weathering through all of that as well. Like I, I think there's, there's an element of, of he's kind of, he's weathered in the NFL, you know, he's got a ton of coaching experience, ton of coaching experience. Um, and so we'll see, um, you know, it, I, that's about as much as I can go. It's, it's hard again to, to future guest, a guy that's really has no, ex, no real experience of calling plays, you know, and never has mm-hmm. had the real experience of like, this is his show offensively. Um, so it's, it's really hard to future cast that, but I think the demeanor and, and kind of the, the reputation he's built for, for quarterbacks for a team that's going to start a rookie quarterback is, is I think a, a pretty appealing part for him. I mean, Gerard Mayo did say, like in his introductory press conference, he emphasized developers, people who could be good teachers, and also he wanted to have good relationships. You know, I've seen reports that uh, Van Pelt's really good when it comes to, like, he's a culture changer, really well respected. The personality seems like it's there, but with a lot of things that are going on with the Patriots right now, there's a lot of mystery boxes where, you know, Belichick was at the very top of 
everything for so long that you don't really know what you have in other facets, especially when you're bringing new people in, like special teams coach Jeremy Springer's another guy where, you know, didn't have a lot of success in his last stop, but he was respected, seen as an up-and-comer, obviously not the same as Van Pelt because, you know, Springer's 34 years old, but another area where it's going to be like, ah, you kind of have to wait and see, but it's good to know that at least as a personality, considering how toxic it was in New England, he can kind of bring that forward. But you did mention the lack of play calling, so let's get into some of the negatives. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's easy to get excited about a hire like this with some of the things that Van Pelt does bring, but also we need some sobering messages and to understand really what we're getting and what fans should really be wary of. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, the lack of play calling is a big one. It's kind of a mystery box, you know? Like, uh, yeah. do you remember the Wonder Balls that we used to, used to sell at grocery stores as a kid? Like the big chocolate that's ball? With, you never that's knew what's been in my head the entire time. Yeah, yep. <laughs> he's, he's kind of like a Wonder Ball. Like, are you going to get the Smarties? Like, the Smarties were like, yeah, I want those. But, um, or like the Harry Potter jelly beans. Is he going to be like the butter popcorn or the licorice? Or like, you know, so you, you don't really know. You don't really know um, because there's, there's no sample size. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside of one playoff game where, again, you know, you know, the script was already written for him. You know, the, the game plan was already installed for him. Like that wasn't his responsibility to do. Uh, he just kind of, and by the, again, that, that's a game where, you know, the first play of the game, the snap went 20 yards over Roethlisberger's head and the Browns scored a defensive touchdown. And then they were up 21, nothing that game before they knew it. So like that, that wasn't really an adversity game. They, they played with a three score lead the whole game. So um, yeah, there's just a, a ton of unknown. And I think that is the negative for hiring Van Pelt as opposed to um, a guy with experience play calling, you know, um, I know the Buccaneers just hired Liam Cohen, like Liam Cohen has a ton of, of experience calling plays at both the college and the NFL level. So um, I'd say that's the negative. It's hard to pinpoint other negatives of a guy who um, has, has been around the block, but, but hasn't really ran his own offense. Um, so I would say that's, that's the predominant thing we got to talk about. Mm-hmm. To wrap it up, like I mentioned, some potential coaching hires that we could see for the Patriots from that Browns pipeline. Who do you think are some names that fans should look out for? And who should they be wary of from that list? And who should they be excited about who could maybe bring some you know, fresh perspective and new blood to the organization? Yeah, I, say, I think uh, he didn't coach in Cleveland, but Andy Dickerson is the offensive line coach. I've already, been, I've already seen reported that New England's making a huge push for him. I think the Browns are also going to make a huge push for him because he interviewed as their offensive coordinator, and now they have an opening at offensive line coach as well, so we could see how that plays out. But Dickerson would be a home run. Uh, again, he was the run game coordinator in Seattle in 2021 when they were top five in every, every run game metric. And Seattle's run game is so diverse and so fun under Shane Waldron, and uh, he coached under Sean McVay as well. So uh, bringing on Andy Dickerson would be a huge win. Win, especially if he had the run game coordinator tag to his name as well, um, because uh, he's, he's got a proven track record. Uh, every stop he's gone of, of manufacturing really good run game and offensive line success. Um, as far as coaches, you know, we saw um, Drew Petzing, who was the quarterback coach in Cleveland in 2022, get hired as the offensive coordinator in Arizona this past season with the Cardinals under um uh, Jonathan Gannon, Drew Petzing. Um, and he took with him Israel Wolfork, I believe is his name, um, who was the Browns diversity, uh, the, the, the diversity program fellowship guy um, mm-hmm. for the Browns that year. Um, and he t- got hired as the, the, the quarterback's coach in Arizona. Um, they also have a guy who is a quarterback assistant under that same fellowship in Ashton Grant this year, um, who I think is going to get promoted in Cleveland if Ken Dorsey calls plays. Ken Dorsey doesn't call plays. They're probably going to do the same thing with they, they did with Van Pelt, where, where they just dual tagged him as the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Um, 
But if Ken Dorsey does call plays and, and he's not going to take that role, I think the, the Browns probably would promote Ashton Grant. Uh, but Ashton Grant is a young guy who is um, potentially um, somebody that you could watch as well, maybe get poached over. Um, he was coaching quarterbacks at the Shrine Bowl, actually, this this past week okay. as well. So um, so Ashton Grant, he's, he's only 27 years old, really young guy. Um, so he's a, he's a guy you could see under the, kind of that same um, pathway that, that Wolfork in Arizona kind of took. Stump Mitchell, again, just fired. T.C. McCartney just fired in Cleveland. The, those are two guys who are, are currently unemployed. Again, Stump Mitchell, 67, and he, you know, he kind of did an exit interview. He said he was he was kind of open to coaching still, but he's like, I've kind of enjoyed waking up at 8 a.m. these past few weeks and, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of doing his thing. So, um, but those two guys are obviously names to watch as well um, as, as guys who could who could come over and join him in New England. Corey, thank you so much for the insight, man. I learned so much. Before we get you out of here, please let the people know where they can find you and what stuff you got coming down the pipeline if they want to check you out. Yeah, so I'm the managing editor at Browns Wire, as you said, USA Today uh, online Browns content site. Um, and then I fake Corey Kinnon on, on Twitter is where I post a lot of my film stuff. You know, uh, most of my written content is there. Uh, I do some draft work as well. I have a sub stack called Daft on Draft. Um, that I, that I do all my draft content with as well. And specifically for Patriots fans, I, I have a quarterback charting project that I do every year where I chart ball placement, accuracy, under pressure, beyond first read, out of structure. So I kind of try to get a good feel of how how these guys uh, do in every phase of, of quarterbacking. And so that's live on my Substack as well. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can check that out as well. Seriously, check it out, Corey. You do fantastic work. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you all for watching. Make sure you stay tuned at five o'clock Eastern time. We're going to have a guest of the show. We're going to keep it a surprise for now, but you'll see a post if you keep locked on Twitter. And we're going to have another show for you, recapping the Senior Bowl and also touching once again on the Alex Van Pelt hire. Thank you all for joining. I'll see you later. For now, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll see you next time. Peace.